God's will is carried out in a practical way by God's move on the earth. And this move in its practicality, including its move among us, will have three basic foundational elements. The preaching of the gospel to bring people to the Lord for the forgiveness of sins and receiving of eternal life. Then learning to live the Christian life by enjoying Christ as life and pursuing him. And then third, the practice of the church life. So in varying degrees, this is our situation in the Lord's recovery. These are not mere activities. This is part of our living as believers and as those in the churches. We long to see people we're concerned about saved, relatives, family members, friends, colleagues. In various ways, we preach the gospel. Then we pursue a new life as a new creation and live the church life. These three are not the goal. They're the indispensable means to reach the goal. With God's move, there is an inward experiential dimension. And it is this inward experiential dimension that brings us all into the reality and to the direction of the Lord's move. We have seen in message one that God's will is the source of everything. The whole universe was created because of his will. He created the universe, our galaxy, our solar system, our planet Earth, and all of us because he wanted something. And what he wants, that's his will. And with God's will, there is the desire of God's heart, God's good pleasure, what brings him delight. And based upon this will and pleasure, God made his eternal purpose, his goal with a determined intention. Then he held a council as to the way he will carry this out. And that way applies to us when we would be saved. He would direct the development of our human life, bring us into the contact with certain persons, arrange marriages, bless us with children. Then he will shepherd us through our Christian life stage by stage. While all this is going on, there is God's inner flowing, which is his moving. 
God moves by flowing. So in Acts, there's this stream. It's always been flowing. So the Lord is flowing into us, through us, and out from us. But there is a direction to God's moving, to God's flowing. And the direction is to fulfill what God wants, which is actually the same corporate matter in three aspects. It's not three separate things. God wants the church that consummates in the new Jerusalem. So God, the direction of God's move is to build up the body of Christ within the local churches. His move is to prepare the bride. We will consider this tonight. And then to bring in the kingdom. I'm anticipating to give us a rounded introduction. The kingdom for us today is an inward reality in life expressed in the church life, in our meetings, in our service, and in our relationships in the church. But there is a dispensational aspect to the kingdom. By dispensational, I mean something that brings about a radical change in human history. And that radical change will be when the, bride, when the body is built up and the bride is prepared. That will also mean the reality of the kingdom has been developing in us, then the Lord will fulfill prophecy. The end of the age will come. The overcomers will be raptured before the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, the Lord will return, deal with the enemy, and abolish human government and the monetary system. And replace that with the kingdom filling the whole earth. So now we're on the direction of the Lord's move to prepare the bride. So tonight, we don't have to bemoan the fact that we're not ready, that we're not rapture ready. You don't have to be ready what you should have the sense of is preparing. You're preparing. I have a little fresh feeling about preparing. You're very focused. You have anticipation. It's very practical. So we will see in this messages aspects of preparing that we personally can relate to and experience in the midst of our human situation. Now, in contrast to the emphasis, at least in our society, I don't presume to speak of other cultures, 
in wedding meetings, wherever they're held, the center is the bride. So the bridegroom is standing aside, kind of neglected. No one stands up when the bridegroom comes in. They hardly know he's there. He's just a fixture. (laughs) But then when there's some musical indicator, the bride is coming, then we all stand up and we look at her. She's the center. I suppose... This magazine called Bride Magazine is still in circulation. Young young ladies like to read it and dream. Do you know any magazine called Bridegroom Magazine? (laughs) Anyone here have an online subscription to Bridegroom Magazine? If there was one, I'd be surprised. If you have a subscription, I think you're kind of goofy. (laughs) But... There's, there's no such thing. But in this wedding, according to Matthew 25, for instance, the announcement isn't, isn't first. Behold, the bride is coming. It's behold, the bridegroom is coming. Then in Revelation, there's equal attention paid to Let us rejoice and exalt and give the glory to him. The bridegroom is still the focus. Give the glory to him. Why? Because his wife, the bride, has made herself ready. So let's begin with some fresh appreciation for our lovely bridegroom. Isn't him that we sang 1229, a touching him? We will sing that next Lord's Day, week from tomorrow, at our wedding meeting. So touching. From eternity past, his thoughts were full of her. He realized every potential component of the bride is now in sin and death, under the authority of Satan. So he became a man and died on the cross for her redemption. Ephesians 5 says, he loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hebrews 12, verse 2, tells us to look away into Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I am not aware of any clear definition in the ministry of the joy set before him. So I just tell you what I think about this. When he is on the cross, we know from Ephesians 5, he's giving himself up for her. I believe the joy set before him has very much to do with his bride, his wedding, and his marriage. This surely has to be part of it. The joy that after he passes through death, redeeming her, and is resurrected from the dead, regenerating her, 
And after the gospel is proclaimed and multitudes are saved and believers are transformed and built up, he will have her. A glorious church. So this is how she was brought forth. Not by an act of creation like in Genesis. She was brought forth at a tremendous cost. So here you have a divine romance in which all the love is with the man, the husband. The potential wife is altogether apostate, rebellious, defiled, divided, darkened, deadened. But this one who is about to die as the God-man is God, the God who chose every component of this bride in eternity past and predestinated every component in eternity past so in a very particular way, he is dying for the chosen and predestinated ones. He knew that the wages of sin is death, that God's righteousness requires the death of the sinner. So either all of us die eternally or the one who loves us, the one who came to court us, he will say, Father, let me die on her behalf and bear all her sins on my body and experience your righteous judgment in her place so that you are in a situation where you must Forgive her because I paid the, the price of your righteous requirements. Amen. So when he died and the side was pierced, the blood flowed out, signifying the cleansing of sins. And then he released his life, imparted that life in resurrection, all because of the goal to get married. This is our bridegroom. In chapter 3 of John, we have another reference to the bride and the bridegroom in a particular context. The Lord Jesus is having a conversation with an elderly man named Nicodemus. And during the course of this record, you have this word. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's sort of toward the end of the chapter. The bride. Now, I'm not making light in any way of what I'm going to say. Many dear believers, they love the Lord and they want to see people saved. So they proclaim what I affectionately call 
the end zone gospel. Okay? What do I mean by the end zone gospel? Well, when, when a professional football team is in the red zone, you know, close to the goal line, or when there's a field goal attempt or a point after touchdown attempt, the cameras are trained on the part of on the goalpost. So these dear believers purposely get seats in that section and hold up John 3.16. I don't make light of that. This is what they know. This is what they desire. And who are we to say that someone wouldn't wonder, what, what is that John 3.16? What, 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 what John is that? And someone says, well, it's in the New Testament. They might read it and get saved. But let me tell you something about John 3.16. It's preceded by John 3.14 and 15. And it is the consequence of verse 14. What is that? The Lord said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Then verse 15, so that everyone who believes into him will have eternal life. Amen. Then you have God so loved the world that he gave his Son. He gave his Son how? How? Remember, this is the bridegroom who's going to produce the bride. Romans 8.3 says, God sent his son in the likeness of the flesh of sin and concerning sin. And he, God, condemned sin in the flesh. When the word became flesh, that is when God became a man, the incarnated Christ connected himself to fallen human beings by being a human being who's not fallen. He connected himself to sinners, but he had no sin. But his body looked like everybody else's, a flesh of sin. So that on the cross, he not only bore our sins, he was made sin for us. Amen. And sin is the, is the nature and element of Satan. It is the personification of Satan. So in the Old Testament, in Numbers, there was a plague of fiery serpents. God instructed Moses, make a bronze serpent. It has the shape of a serpent, but not the nature hold it up on a pole, lift it up, and everyone who looks at it will be healed. Now the Lord is saying, I am the fulfillment of that type. I am the son of man in the likeness of the flesh of sin. When I am hanging on the cross during the second three hours, God will see me as a serpent. All of you have been satanified. The nature of Satan was injected into us. 
We became his children. God had to deal with sin. So our bridegroom, in order to have her, not only bore sins on his body, he was the fulfillment of the type of the bronze serpent. So because he was in the likeness of the flesh of sin, God could consider him the flesh of sin and therefore condemn sin in the flesh and in so doing, destroy the devil and judge the ruler of this world. That's how God gave us his son so that we would believe into the son, have eternal life, be born of the spirit, and be part of the bride. This is the kind of husband we will have. This is the one who came to court us. He came into this kind of territory to woo us, to attract us. Then he gave himself up for us. Then he sent the apostles like Paul to engage all of us. Paul said, I betrothed you to Christ. So gospel preachers, spiritually speaking, they have an engagement ring. The goal of the gospel is to bring people to the Lord, the one who gave himself up for the church out of love, the one who was made sin in the sight of God for their redemption, and who released his divine life for their regeneration. What a husband. Revelation speaks of us as the Lamb's wife. We will all be, we may say, Mrs. Lamb, the redeeming God. And we know that on the Lord's resurrection body, there were the marks of the wounds. Thomas insisted on empirical evidence. I want to see the nail prints. I want to thrust my hand into his pierced side. So the resurrected Christ, did he not appear and showed him his hands? He's already resurrected. There's no reason to think his body will change. It may be that in eternity... All our husband would have to do is just hold up his hands to remind us, you're here because of this. Not to make us feel bad, but to make us exult and praise and shout hallelujahs and have an eternal Lord's table meeting. This is our bridegroom. So brother husbands, that's all you have to do is live out one simple commandment. It's not one simple suggestion. It's one simple commandment. That's all you have to do <coughs> is love your wives exactly the way Christ loved the church. Not in the way of redemption, but in the way of giving up himself.
if I feel, based upon experienced reality, if a man doesn't know what it is to die for his wife, at least to lay down his soul life for her, he doesn't yet know what love is. And she has not yet fully experienced what love is. Christ gave himself up for her. So this is our bridegroom. What a marvelous person. Now, we'll come to the outline in due time, and we'll read it thoroughly. Now we want to mention to you at the beginning, the preparation of the bride has five main aspects. More than one may take place at the same time. This is not something like you work at, like you wake up tomorrow and, oh no, I got all this stuff I have to do to be the bride. You just wake up and live and let the Lord love you and shepherd you and dispense himself into you. But the bride must have at least these five characteristics. First, she must be mature in life. So according to Ephesians 4, we have to have the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Probably most husbands are taller than their wives, maybe physically stronger than their wives. There may be some Amazon types that are exceptions to this. <laughs> Who wants to marry an Amazon, anyway? <coughs> but basically, the statures match. He's not marrying a little girl. Not marrying a little girl. So she's mature. And then she is a corporate person that is a building. She's built up to be a corporate person. Then a third characteristic is she's beautiful. This is Song of Songs. She's really beautiful, really beautiful. In addition to these three, we have the fact that she's also a warrior with an A, not warrior with an O. Because in Revelation 19, at the end of the first part of the wedding feast, there's a change of scene, and the husband gets on his white horse. This is a sign. It's not literally. And she said, he says, we're going to war. Armageddon. Down there. We've been gradually descending. And you're going with me as my army. And the bride asks, the women always ask, well, what do you wear when you go to an Armageddon? <laughs> what do I put on? That's the question. What do I wear and the husband would say, dear, you're just fine. Your wedding dress is your uniform. One reason I married you 
And one reason I was so attracted to you is not only your maturity, it's not only your building, it's not only your beauty, your beauty you are an experienced warrior. So I didn't have this criterion in my 20s, but now Tanya knows, and Tanya says, amen, and Tanya is ready. I said, warrior is one of the requirements. We are in, you are marrying a warrior, and we will be in this war together, and she's ready to go. We've already engaged in the warfare. But in Revelation 19, and in Matthew 20, uh, 22, there's an emphasis on the garment, the wedding garment. And I want to bring this forth. It will take us about 10 minutes. But because it's emphasized, look in Revelation 19, verse 8. And it was given to her that she should be clothed in fine linen, Bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. Then we read in Matthew 22 that if someone tries to come into the wedding feast without a wedding garment, he is removed. That parable is not a parable about eternal salvation. The outer darkness is not eternal perdition that is a realm outside the glory of the kingdom where people will be full of regret. That's why they're gnashing their teeth. Why did I waste my life and miss this glorious event? But I did. We cannot lose our salvation. You cannot be unborn. You cannot be deborn once you've been regenerated. So because God himself emphasizes the wedding garment, I have to emphasize it, to be faithful to him and to help you have a clear view of this so that it becomes part of your presentation. You're growing to maturity. You are being built up with others in the house of God. You're not undergoing cosmetic surgery nor Botox injections, but you are being beautified as the Lord beautifies you with himself. And as members of the body, you will learn war. But the wedding garment is so crucial. And... Millions, I'm not exaggerating, millions of believers have been misled and are being misled concerning this one thing by their theologians and by their preachers, especially by the Calvinists. Okay, why? Why? We all need two kinds of garments, spiritually speaking. The garment... The first garment is in Luke 15. When the prodigal decided to come home, he came home because he was starving. He realized how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, 
I just got to have something to eat. I will go and take the position of a servant and beg for bread. When the father saw him coming, the father ran to meet him, but the father did not give him bread. The father could not righteously have given him anything related to life or life supply. The first thing the father did was to order that the best robe that had been prepared would be put upon his son. That robe signifies Christ as our righteousness for our salvation. All of us know we have sins and there's nothing we can do about it. We can't pay the price for us. So we're wrong with God. But Christ died in our place. He bore our sins in his body. Based upon his redemption, God forgives all those who simply believe. And this robe signifies Christ has righteousness covering us before God. That's why all of us can come to a meeting just as we are, because we come not in ourselves, but in Christ as our righteousness. We come to the Lord's table tomorrow based upon redemption with Christ as our righteousness. So this is, leads to what we call justification. Justification related to justice. It is to be declared righteous by God according to his standard of righteousness. So now with Christ covering you before God, God sees Christ. He doesn't see your history. And so now you can have peace toward him. The Calvinist theologians, their preachers, and so many others say, that's it. The garment in Revelation 19, same garment, the garment in Matthew 22, but it's not. They themselves, the theologians and the preachers, will be naked before Christ. They will be unclothed. The Lord even spoke this to Laodicea, didn't he? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You need to be adorned in white raiment. So before God the Father, we have a robe. Christ as our righteousness. That righteousness is objective. Our being hasn't changed yet. We have not become righteous experientially in what we are. We still have all kinds of problems in our being. But Christ is our righteousness. God can declare us righteous. So that is why, immediately after the robe, there's a feast, rejoicing. Amen. That's for salvation. When we were baptized, we put on Christ as this garment. We put him on. And garment signifies expression. Okay, in Revelation 19 and in Matthew 22, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about 
being in the wedding feast as the bride. Really, all the guests are part of the bride. There's not really two categories. So before our husband, we must have a wedding garment. We must have it. Without it, we can't be there. We won't be admitted. Or if we somehow get in, we won't stay. Because we don't match him. What we're expressing isn't Christ. We're expressing something really of the old creation, of the flesh of sin, of the self, of the natural life before our husband. He can't bear that. So the wedding garment is highlighted in Matthew 22 and in Revelation 19. And in Revelation 19, the garment is called righteousness. When was the last time you used the word righteousness? Unusual. But what is it? Well, righteousness has to be very close to righteousness. But obviously, righteousness, that word is plural. So this garment is composed of righteousnesses. Okay, so what is it? The first garment is Christ as righteousness placed upon us by God so we can be approved by God to have peace with God. The second garment, the wedding garment, is Christ as our subjective righteousness wrought into us and expressed through us. And please remember, our spirit is the organ for contacting God. Our soul is the organ of expressing him. In 2 Corinthians, the new covenant ministry is called the ministry of the spirit and the ministry of righteousness. The ministry of the spirit ministers Christ to us so that we may experience Christ as a spirit dwelling in us and living in us. Christ as the spirit is in our spirit right now. But Paul said he wanted to magnify this Christ, to express this Christ. The soul is the organ of expression. So now... The Christ who is in us must saturate our soul with himself as righteousness. So we are righteous with all things, matters, persons, and situations. If you have a cat and you kick the cat, you are unrighteous with the cat. There's a proverb that says, a righteous man cares for the life of his animal. If you got a doggy, be right with your doggy. And I know what it's like to have to be right 
with rabbits, 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 fish, 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 15 fish tanks, quails, dogs, parakeets, children, all kinds of living things. So what this is, is now we are living Christ. We are living him and expressing him. One, in one detailed way at a time. In your driving. Okay? I won't press this too hard because I know it's so painful for everybody. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm driving along. Someone cuts in front of me. I'm bothered by that. Now he makes me a tailgater. And I get in my self-righteousness. You asked for it, buddy. You asked for it. But there's someone in me, if not someone with me, saying, just gently tap the brake, get some distance between you, and let him go. But my feeling is, real men don't back down like that. <laughs> I'm not giving in to that. He's asking for a confrontation. Okay, man. Okay, here it comes. Well, but let's just say I live Christ and I'm righteous toward a situation like that. I stitch some thread in my soul, my wedding garment. Then on the way home, I go to Ralph's and there's such a line as the express line. I'm not sure why they call it that, but it's there. And they often have the sign that says, limit 15 items. So, if I am there in my self-righteousness, and I have exactly 15 items, so I am right with Ralph's, but the person in front of me has 19. How do I know? I counted them. <laughs> I counted them. I feel he shouldn't be there, but I don't say anything to him. Then I come to the cashier, and maybe I don't say anything, or maybe I would say something. It would be really nice if you would reinforce the, the sign. <laughs> but let's just say, okay, the person has 19. I don't count it. I don't care what he has. I'm only responsible for my basket, 15 or less. So now I stitch another thread. Okay, then something else happened. <clears throat> I'm in line with my 15. And this actually happened. Someone is standing behind me counting my items. <clears throat> I'm really bothered. I want to turn to him and say, do you think I'm a crook? you think I'm an unrighteous person? How dare you? But I just let him count. I'm reminded of not the countless, but the times I counted. So I just say, let him count. Let the whole store count. It's okay. I'm at peace. I'm obeying the regulation. Another stitch. Day after day, month after month, year after year. Right with the government in taxes. Someone peeled off 
the sticker on my license plate, you know, that you put on the year. And so I have no choice. I have to get another sticker. And probably DMVs everywhere. Have you ever been into a DMV when it wasn't crowded? What a mess. So I found out the line to get a sticker. And they don't say, Mr. Kangas, we understand our heart aches for you. We give you a free sticker. No, I get to pay for the thing. Because I have to be righteous with the DMV. And then someone advised me, why don't you take, put it on and take a razor and just make some small squares and that may discourage the sticker thieves. Okay, these are just a few illustrations. Righteousnesses are the accumulation of our living Christ and expressing him in our daily human life toward persons, things, matters, and situations. So that is Christ's righteousness within us being expressed through us. That expression is the wedding garment. And the reason our bridegroom enjoys this is he looks at us and he sees we are the expression of himself. I mean, wedding dresses are really a big deal for brides, right? Huh? You're nodding your head, so you, the dear one you married, oh, you give a lot of attention to this. Well, God himself does. And he wants us to stand before his son, not merely with the garment of objective righteousness before God, <clears throat> but we are presented to our bridegroom in this beautiful wedding garment, which is the bridegroom himself expressed through us. We can say, Lord, I really did love you when I said I loved you because I loved you. I lived you. I lived you. When we love him, we live him. I allowed you to saturate my soul. And garment means expression. So now my soul has become your expression. Especially with righteousnesses. That's why the wedding dress can also be the uniform. In order to deal with the enemy. There cannot be any unrighteousness. Otherwise, he will attack that point. So, I hope this is somewhat clear, at least initially. We all need two garments. We all have the first. We should be preparing the second. One of the things I've had to repent for was wasting or missing hundreds and thousands of opportunities where I was irked. So I didn't deny the irked self and turn to the spirit. I just stayed irked until I was 
tired of it. So instead of 15 minutes in the incredible immigration line in Moscow in the old days, no order, then they just decide to close down one line and then the crowd rushes to the other. So instead of turning to the Lord and asking for his dispensing, 40 minutes of irk, irksomeness or irkdom or whatever it is, that's a lost opportunity. Now I'm learning. I'm in the process, okay? I'm in the process because I'm quite good at choosing the wrong line. Sometimes I'm misled by the shortness of the line, but the line is short for a reason. That person's going to be there for 12 minutes. And the long line was the fast line. Okay, I think you got the point. So it's not our trying to be better, to improve. It's letting Christ live. From your spirit, through your soul. This involves... You're being willing, more and more, to deny the self that still wants to live. And you say, no, that's not going to happen now. I will let Christ live in me. Just live in me. I remember being in LAX, heard an announcement my flight was canceled. And I was going to some place for a conference. It was time sensitive. So I got into the line, as you had to. And the people were furious. And the dear agent in this case was a young adult, African-American woman. So in situations like that, there can be some kind of, sometimes an implicit racial dimension if we're not right, if we're not proper. And one person after another took out the anger on her, unrighteously. But this time, I was with the Lord, and I just said to her, okay, we're in this together. We're working on this together, okay? We're on the same side. We're on the same team. I just need to get to Atlanta a conference and so this I need to be there at such and such a time and this was my class of ticket and the Lord just flowed to her to respect her to care for her as a human who had been abused in that situation I didn't expect anything but she wanted to reciprocate in some way, so she said, because you were just so kind, I'd like to award you X thousand sky miles to your account. <laughs> well, that was, that was a righteousness. Now, I was stranded for three days by the no longer existent Northwest Airlines. It was right to go out of existence. It was Northwest, <laughs> Northwest Airlines. <laughs> and so I think I was um, right to be indignant, but you know, 
The flesh is never justified. It's never justified. So, I'm just, we're in the same realm. We're all growing to maturity. We're all being saved from individualism and independence to be built up. You'll see at the end of the outline, which we will now read at long last, we're being beautified. We will become part of the warrior, but it really was on the Lord's heart and on my heart to help you see the need for the second garment. So don't, don't, don't promise. Don't say, Lord, I consecrate to live you. That means you're promising to do something. You just say, Lord, I give myself to you that you may work yourself into me and train me to be one spirit with you and live you in the midst of whatever human situation I'm in. Okay, now we read through the outline in about 20 minutes and all the bride preparers will be able to share something about preparing, okay? It doesn't matter if you've been saved for a month. You've got time to get ready. If the Lord brought you back to the recovery after 18 years, and initially you're happy, and the church is happy, then the enemy comes and says, yeah, you're back. Too bad. Too late. You can't make it. That's a lie. So I'd like to give you a verse. The quote to the devil. Yeah, I wasted a lot of years. You sent locusts to eat me up. This is what my God says. This is what my husband says. I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Amen. The years. He's able to do this. Amen. So all of us tonight... We all have the opportunity. It's not too late for anyone under the sound of this word. Just come to the Lord as you are and where you are and tell him, I want to be in the preparing process as part of the direction of your move. One, the direction of the Lord's move today is to prepare the bride as the counterpart of the bridegroom for an eternal marriage of the redeeming God with his redeemed. So the redeeming God is the lamb. <clears throat> so John received the word, come here, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So I hope we're impressed. We're marrying the redeemer the one who gained us at a great cost. We're marrying the lamb. Hi, Mrs. Lamb. The Lord be with your spirit, Mrs. Lamb, or soon to be Mrs. Lamb. We're all going to be part of Mrs. Lamb. What a husband we have. Amen. Two, the marriage of the lamb is the issue of the completion of God's New Testament economy. So God's New Testament economy is his plan and arrangement to dispense himself into us. The completion of that has an issue, an outcome, which is to obtain for Christ a bride, the church. See? Through what? Through his judicial redemption. We saw that. So I begin every day 
based upon judicial redemption. I don't know how you wake up in the morning. Do you wake up like a hind let loose in resurrection? You spring out of the bed full of hallelujahs. You're singing him, praise him, praise him. Christ is victor. If you are wonderful, I grope to consciousness. Then once I am more conscious than unconscious, I determine where am I and what part of the earth am I in? And I have to begin every day the same, to turn to the Lord, to come to him based upon his precious, precious blood. And then by his organic salvation. That's what Romans 5.10 means by salvation in life. He wants to save us from every negative thing. And at the same time, he wants to sanctify us, making us holy, to renew us, to transform us, to conform us, to glorify us. I talked with the first-termer. It was really a first-termer. I'm looking forward to seeing him in two years. And I, he wanted to know what my age was. I told him my age, and then I said... Um, but you're much older than I am. Yeah. He's 20-something. You're much older than I am. So we're being renewed. That's why don't be afraid of human aging. The most useful years, Brother Lee said, are between 60 and 80. So when I was about to turn 60, I was really happy But then I began to get closer to 80 than to 60. I wondered, now what? Then I found a place where he said, oh, 80, that's the most useful time. In other words, it doesn't end. It didn't end with him. So we have organic salvation going on. So you may want to, every once in a while, pray for that. Lord, save me in life today. You can do that in the shower. You can do that while you're shaving. Lord, save me in life today. Lord, grow in me today. That's a prayer. You don't have to give a paragraph to explain what you mean with footnotes and parentheses. Just tell him what you want him to do. Lord, I want you to saturate me all day today. Okay, three, the church as the bride of Christ is a matter of satisfaction and rest in love. That's for him. Then we have satisfaction and rest because he has satisfaction and rest in love. In love. Zechariah 3, no, Zephaniah 3 says, he will rejoice in his love. With singing, the Lord will sing. Zephaniah 3 So I don't know if he'll sing at the wedding or he'll just sing us sweet songs. Um, When he's satisfied and at rest, that means his desire is fulfilled and it's all in love. What, What kind of a sweet relationship is this? Of mutual, full satisfaction and deep rest in love. There are times you don't need to even say anything. You just sit there, 
with her head on your shoulder in peace. This is what the Lord is looking for. For the Lord's recovery is for the preparation of the bride. That's what the recovery is for. Just as it's for the body, it's for the bride. Who is composed of all his overcomers. The wife, after the kingdom, includes all the believers. But the one without the wedding garment, in Matthew 22, was not chosen as an overcomer. We don't know whether we're chosen or not. There's no way we can know. You can only know at the end, when you finish the course. Like Paul, he said, now I know. There's a crown of righteousness. So we want to be an overcomer so the Lord can have a bride. All the overcomers will be the new Jerusalem as the bride for 1,000 years in its initial and fresh stage. The new Jerusalem is the wife. She will be manifested in two time frames. So So in the kingdom, there'll be an initial manifestation composed only of the overcomers. Then in the new heaven and the new earth, you'll have the ultimate manifestation because all the believers will have been perfected and matured. So I'd like to be the new Jerusalem in the next age. If you would like to be, why don't you ask the Lord? Lord, please give me the experiences I need to be an overcomer and to be part of the new Jerusalem in the next age. That's a sweet prayer. Eventually, all the believers will join the overcomers to consummate and complete the new Jerusalem in full as the wife of Christ in the new heaven and new earth for eternity. I would point out, we should minimize how great it is for someone to be saved. you, You contrast being part of the wife for eternity with being in another situation. So we emphasize the overcoming But it's a great thing for anyone among us and anyone we contact to be saved. But we, in our seeking, have to go beyond that. That's why we're here. Five, the readiness of the bride depends on the maturity in life of the overcomers. The maturity in life. So it would be unfitting for a 27-year-old man to marry a 12-year-old girl. It would be more than unfitting. It would be illegal and all kinds of things. The woman must match the man. We must match the Lord in maturity. The enemy knows this, and he has strategies to try to interfere with our growth in life. But we are aware of this and we're fighting against this and we'll fight for the saints that all the lies of the enemy, all of his stratagems will be exposed and defeated. And we just simply pray, Lord, please give me today's portion, today's measure of growth in life. A brother heard me 
mentioned this in a message. And he asked me sincerely, well, what is today's measure of growth in life? I said, I don't know. I have no idea. But I just know it happens day by day. And I'm asking for Saturday, March 4th portion of growth in life. It's only 824 and a half or 823 and a half. We've got a couple more hours. Lord, just grow in us normally day by day. Amen. It makes a difference when you ask for it because then you are responding. You're not being passive. In the New Testament, the word mature is used to refer to the believers being full grown, mature and perfected in the life of God, indicating that we need to grow and mature unto perfection in the divine life. And there's Matthew 5:48. Be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the requirement of the divine life. That's the capacity of the divine life. And you read the context. It's about not only loving <clears throat> those who love you, but even loving your enemies. So the perfection of the growth in life is her fully developed love for the Lord, for the believers, for all human beings, even for her enemies. For all human beings, truly, without bias, without preference. Anyone who's been marginalized, anyone who has suffered from a discrimination they know when the love is real or not. They know when you're condescending to them. They know. But they also know when the love flowing out is a genuine, pure, unbiased love for everyone. That's a sign of the bride's maturity. We don't just love one another. We love human beings. We love them. Eventually, those who persecute us, we will pray like Stephen. You realize Stephen was the duplication of Jesus when he was being stoned? He saw the Lord in glory. How does Stephen pray? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The way the Lord prayed. At the end he prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. The way the Lord prayed. The Lord is making us a duplication so no matter what is thrown at us, we, our enemy is the spiritual enemy. It's not people. And our love will develop to the point where we'll pray for those that are the enemies. This indicates the divine life is maturing. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. You tell the Lord you can't do it. He's not shocked. Oh, no, you mean you can't pray for all your enemies? I'm just amazed. No. <clears throat> Only he can do it. Amen. Only he living in us can do it. Amen. We need to continue to grow until we are matured in the divine life to become a full-grown man at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until. Grow until. So I suggest a prayer especially for those that are, say, under 50, really youngins, under 50. Lord, for the sake of the body and the bride, 
Cause me to grow in life to maturity as soon as possible. That I may have many years, even some decades, to minister life to the saints. The rest of us, we can just pray simple prayers, no matter of your age. You may be 96, but you're still breathing. Lord, bring me to maturity. The Lord can do a lot in a short period of time. When, when he functions as the intensified spirit, he can do a lot in a week. He can. I've seen it happen. Just ask him. He will surely do it. A mature believer knows the body and cares for the body, being body conscious and body centered. So as we, in the 60s, in the 60s we were kids in Eldon Hall, that was like the best year in elementary school. That was my, like my sixth grade year when I was captain of the safety patrol. Some of you may have to Google safety patrol. You may not know what that is. You have a white belt that's going this way and one that goes that way. And I was the captain, so I had a badge and I could take my bike and I would go to all the corners and check upon the safety patrols. That was when I was 11, and then when I was 12, things began to disintegrate. They've never been as good as way back when I was 11. But you can't go back again. So Eldon Hall was, for me, the best of elementary school. It's just a memory. We didn't know the body. We had no feeling about the body. We couldn't. We were kids. But we've been growing since then, and little by little, we're caring for the body and are conscious of the body. Six, the overcomers are not separate individuals, but a corporate bride. For this building is needed. The overcomers are not only mature in life, but are also built together as one bride. Wow, what a project. You got these people with such different dispositions. Only God can do this. He's going to enable all of us to be absolutely one Amen. in the divine life and in the divine glory until no one expresses the self. We're all expressing the Lord. It's going to happen. Amen. The eternal and divine thought of the Bible is that God is seeking a building as the mingling of himself with humanity for his eternal corporate expression. So the Lord said, I will build my church. Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. The new Jerusalem is the consummate building. The consummate building is the wife, a corporate person. This may sound mysterious, but more and more it will be real to you. See, the goal of the Lord's recovery is to recover Christ as life and everything to us so that we may be built up. Okay, under the Lord's shepherding of you and his care for you, as portrayed in Song of Songs, there are important turns. Like in chapter two, oh, she has been in the banqueting house. She's been enjoying the Lord so much in the house of wine. And she's just there and then the Lord comes in a way she never saw him before, leaping and skipping 
like an antelope, like a hind, full of energy, saying, come away, my dear, come on with me. She doesn't budge. She's there, and then she's kind of measuring her situation, introspective. But there's a turn, and he says to her, my dear, the birds are singing, the rain is over, it's not winter anymore. The flowers are budded. Come away with me. This is a turn. And these are important turns. When I went from captain of the safety patrol to a tough junior high school, picked on by the big guys, that was a turn. When I went from high school to university, that was a turn. When I got married, that was a turn. This is just human. There are turns. If there are no turns, that means there's no development. But turns are not easy to make. So the Lord shepherds us. And more and more, the Lord will raise up experienced saints that can discern, not that a turn is happening. They will discern a turn is coming in someone's life. And they will pray for that one, and they will supply that one, and when the turn is taking place, they'll shepherd that one through and just say, look, you're not the first to go through this. The body has already set the precedent. The Lord is praying for you. The body is supplying you. And saints like me are with you. We're going to make this turn, and you will have more joy than you've ever imagined. Amen. You're going to get into another realm you didn't even know existed. The Lord loves you so much, he just won't leave you half-developed. He won't leave you where you are. Now the last section. As the bride, the church needs beauty. Okay, there's a verse I recommend to you. Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 7. Because one day, the beloved is going to speak this to you. To you. To you personally, the verse says, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no blemish in you. Amen. And that's not even in chapter 8, where she's about to be raptured. You are altogether beautiful. Even at the end of chapter 1, she is praising, he is praising her beauty, and, and, she, and she is calling him beautiful. I mean, at least once I've been publicly called cute, which I thought was kind of cute. I just took that in stride. I'm not seeking to be called beautiful until the beloved says it, you're beautiful, altogether beautiful. There's no blemish in you. That, this is what we're going to be. Amen. We're chosen to be holy, predestinated to be sons. We're going to be without blemish. Amen. Don't believe your present condition. Reject the accusations of the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. We're going to be beautiful. Amen. The beauty of the bride is for the presentation of the bride to the bridegroom. The presentation. Oh, I just, 
I can only try to imagine what will that be like when the bride and bridegroom meet. You think the Lord will just be a gentleman, trained in etiquette, who's saying, how do you do? I'd like to present myself. I am the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, the Redeemer, and you are. <laughs> I mean, Song of Songs is an indicator. You know, it begins and ends with a kiss. You know that? Chapter 1, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. In chapter 8, she says, if I find you without, that is outside of this realm of the flesh, I'm going to kiss you. When I see you in rapture, I'm going to kiss you. You think the Lord will withdraw? Withdraw? <laughs> don't, don't. He's just saying, <clears throat> you're here because I kissed you in the beginning. I'm certainly going to let you kiss me now. And my dear, this is just the beginning. Amen. We'll never lose this affection. We'll never lose this enjoyment. So the presentation will be especially significant. I don't want to miss it. We want to be part of the bride who's being presented. And according to Ephesians 1, the angels and other spiritual beings will praise the glory of the Lord's grace. When they see the glory expressed in the bride, they will praise the grace of the Lord that has produced such beauty. B, the beauty of the bride comes from the Christ who is wrought into the church and who is then expressed through the church. And this beauty is unfading. In her prime, Elizabeth Taylor, Hilton, Wilding, Todd, Fisher, Burton, Warner, Warshawski, in her prime, she was the most beautiful woman on the earth. At the end, the beauty faded. But our beauty will last eternally. Amen. It will never fade. And I believe the Lord will not just say one time, say, look, I told you at the wedding you were beautiful. Do I have to keep saying this? Okay. <clears throat> Married brothers, um, wives need things like this to be repeated often. <laughs> need. It's not vanity. Need. But don't do it politically because they'll see through it. <laughs> they see through every false thing. Then they flay you mercilessly. So just learn to love as Christ loved the church. So it's Christ wrought into us. Our only beauty is the shining out of Christ from within us. Even now, any saint who exercises the spirit and stands up to speak, there's a beauty there already of Christ shining out. What Christ appreciates in us is the expression of himself. Amen. So let me ask, after hearing this message, don't you want to get married? Amen. Don't you want to have the, your wedding garment, the maturity, the building, the warrior skills, 
and the beauty. All of this is part of the preparation. So we just seek the Lord day by day. And this preparation will be part of the Lord's, the direction of the Lord's moving in us. He's moving in all of us with this direction in view to prepare the bride. One of my deepest longings is to be with you all at the marriage dinner of the Lamb. Blessed are they who are invited to the marriage dinner of the Lamb. Now we invite you, please follow the Spirit as you did this morning wonderfully and let the Lord flow and testify something in light of this message. Okay? Amen.